So beginning again. This practice is constantly beginning again. Whatever has uh, gone before has already happened and is uh, as a residue here and now, but is gone. Whatever's to come is uncertain. So establishing our refuge here and now in the presence of the heart, helping guide us into that presence here and now, coming to the breath, to the body, how is it now, receiving our experience here and now, recognizing our experience and recognizing the context for our experience. The larger space of the listening heart, although larger in space are just terms that don't describe. You could also say the intimate, inner listening heart. The awareness that which can hear sound, receive impressions, and has this quality of knowing. This is our refuge. You can hear the sound of the rain, sound of the voice. It has the capacity to direct attention. Here, now, breath, body. Is a teaching you've probably heard by now from Nisargadatta, a great realized being. Actually, he was very humble. Lived in India, contemporary until about 1981, before he passed over. He was known through a book of his recorded conversations called I Am That, where he says, compassion says I am everything. Wisdom says I'm no thing. And between the banks of these two dimensions, the life of a saint or a practitioner flows. I'd like to say the life of the personal self flows. Not usually a very popular term in Buddhism, the personal self. (laughs) I first mentioned it quite a few years ago now. At a retreat talking about care of the personal self, I was uh, very strongly rebuked for distorting the Buddha's teaching. 
However, I'm convinced, (laughs) after many years of being in meditation communities, that the proper owning of the personal self, however empty it might be and however permanent it might be, is very critical for health and well-being. And for negotiation of these two immense dimensions of our experience, both the immensity of what is called shunyata, the great emptiness, the great void, the great mystery. We turn one way, turn the attention one way, and we note we can recognize that very simply, very immediately, just through the mystery of our presence, that which is present, that which is listening. This is the gateway. But then we turn another way, and the other great immensity is the field the relational field of the world and its vast complexities. Where we experience contact, where we experience feeling, which gives rise to papancha, the web of thought and creation and reactivity and response. This is a a huge field for us to negotiate. And for that we need a personal self, to some degree, until there are moments when ultimately, yes, it is true, as Ajahn Chah taught, ultimately the practice leads us to being Dharma, and then the Dharma is responding in tune. But as we're maturing into that, we're also negotiating the shaping of the self that has come about through the years of our experience, the years of our conditioning, dependent upon so many different factors. From our family, from our culture, from our unique karma, from our developmental, psychological developmental processes that happened well or not so well, or probably for most of us somewhere in the middle, some not so well. So wounds that we carry that shape and structure the patterns of the self. Buddhism is called Sankara. Sankara, which we translated in the morning chanting as karma formations. Literally means put together, that which is put together, that which is constructed. It gives a shape to the sense of me. Me in the, somehow in the midst of these immensities. And within the core of the complexity of our life, of the world, the place of contact is this presence, this mystery. We began the retreat by practicing, as encouraged by the Buddha, this gradual path of gathering, of samadhi, samatha, calming, gathering, focusing, learning to be very simple, learning to put down complexity for the sake of tasting an inner sense of well-being. It's not dependent upon 
the world around us or what people are doing, but is more dependent upon the emergence of and the development of a gathered mind and heart within awareness. It's called samadhi. And this is, you know, from this is really a profound foundation, not only for our meditation, but can be for our life. Learning to relinquish complexity, to keep coming back to the simplicity of being here with the breath, with the body. And how delicious that can be. And we also particularly when we gain some skill at it, which we can. Like any skill, we can develop that over time. And it has many, many benefits. It helps us to digest, <coughs> metabolize the stress that can be picked up by the body, by the mind, by the heart. And help illuminate more clearly the nature of our experience. However, it's, uh, it's not where the Buddha stopped in his teaching, he also encouraged us to wisely reflect. There are moments when we aren't gathered or we haven't got much samadhi or even if we have, there's contact and then these patterns get activated. Tendencies, it's the self that carries the tendencies towards aversion, towards grasping, towards fear or anxiety towards positive potentiality, towards this endless proliferation and creations of the mind. So when we start to sit, we'll start to come into touch also with the self and its patterns. So to develop some wise and compassionate response very helpful. Ajahn Chah said otherwise. He was quite impressed by Westerners and their interest in meditation. But he said that we were a bit like, we use meditation retreats a bit like we, one would use a lawyer to spring you out of trouble. You get, you get sort of called up in stuff in the world and you go off to a meditation retreat to calm down a bit. He said, you don't really understand what gets you into trouble in the first place. (laughs) So what he's pointing to, to to really not just use meditation to, to sort of go into some secret inner quiet place where we push the world away, that's one starting point. Well, we can do that to gain some stability, some inner sense of ground but to not fear contact not to fear the world and to begin to also be interested in where do our patterns arise how do we get carried away and what can we do to help negotiate more inner well-being so the sense of self doesn't just become defended a, a, a sort of slightly aloof Buddhist sense of self that floats above the world in a, in, a, in a sort of defensive way, keeps everything away, or collapsed. 
or rigid or reactive or somehow caught in early wounds and not really addressing those in, in their effect as, as we experience them within the emotional body, within the psychological affect. So the sense of self can operate, can be there appropriately, fluidly, responsibly, learning to hold appropriate boundaries rather than rigid resistance in relationship to contact. This is a lot to learn. This is a lot of skill to negotiate and to cultivate. And this is part of practice. So that we can use the practice to help us cultivate the ground of health, the ground of healing, the ground of well-being for the self as it's negotiating the world and also learning, also learning to transcend the limitations of the self through this inner listening, turning, again and again, turning to this inner refuge where the constructs of the mind reach their end. We taste the mind in its freedom as peace, as timelessness, as presence. Some of these sankharas, some of these patternings are very light. One of the first teachers I practiced with, I'm sure many of you have practiced with the Ubar Kin school, talked about that the sankhara, actually a very helpful image, is some, sometimes like a line on water. Some contact happens, someone snoring at night, someone wakes us up out of our sleep, and there's irritation naturally, (laughs) for a moment. And then we might, you know, the reactive patterns start to happen. How can we get rid of that disturbance, disturbing my peace and quiet? I remember my very first meditation retreat, I got home full of enthusiasm I was a student at the time and I set up my meditation seat and I was sitting there, you know, keen on the enlightenment track. And then this ice cream van pulled out in front of the window and it's just... And it goes on and on and on. And I found myself rushing outside and telling this poor guy, would you mind effing off? Because he was disturbing my meditation. I didn't say F off, I said something similar. (laughs) And I sat down again, I thought there's something wrong with that. (laughs) I'm sure there's something I didn't understand. Couldn't be quite, couldn't quite have got something here in this practice. And it wasn't really until I started to come into contact with the teachings of Ajahn Chah, which taught right view rather than, you know, control the will so that I can have a peaceful meditation approach (laughs) that I began to realize that actually he taught take everything back to the mind 
what's happening in that moment of contact. And it's there that we can practice so that the contact pattern arises, an opportunity right there. And some of these sankara can be very light, like a moment of irritation. And it's like, oh, you need to turn some, some awareness, reflection, maybe cognitively frame it like, oh, well, it's not that bad, it's not the end of the world. Got to get up anyway, whatever. And then, you know, it fades. Or some of the, sometimes some contact, something happens in the sankara that gets activated is deeper. Like lines drawn in the sand, or even deeper lines drawn in the stone. There's a lot of energy. And suddenly we find something quite minimal might spiral us into a very profound pattern, sankharic material of the self. We feel it of the self. And then we go, as a Buddhist, there is no self. <laughs> I don't have to deal with this. <laughs> Hit the delete button. <laughs> Which creates even more of a problem, ultimately. It takes a lot of patience to, and humility to recognize, yes, I might be a very enlightened and wise person, but I'm also very prone to getting upset and losing my cool and falling down. And it's going to happen because we have a self that's conditioned to defend, quite rightly, but often not appropriately. So then, you know, when these, these activations happen, we, you know, if we have right view, right understanding, some wisdom in our practice, and it's not just based on practice means, i.e., I'm doing well if I'm calm, then we can, we can begin to bring forth some skill. As the Buddha taught, coming to the body, the breath, where is this in the body? And then continuing, can we hold? And the teaching of this, many of you are familiar with the teachings on the Brahma Viharas, on how can we bring forth from the heart these natural qualities that we can actually tap and bring forth in relationship to the experience of the self. Some compassion, some kindness. This, yeah, one of um, our monastic teachers, Ajahn Sumedha, used to call, they had a very good term for these sankharas when they get activated, these sense of self. He called them the orphans of consciousness. You know, when they come up, they, they're coming into the light, they're coming to be recognized. And we can think, oh no, something's going wrong. <laughs> I'm not peaceful, I'm not enlightened, I'm not calm, I'm not lucid, I'm not brilliant, I'm dull and I'm upset and I'm contracted and collapsed and irritable. But this is also a fruit of the practice. It's come up for us to be with. So to recognize this is another teaching that Ajahn Sumedha gave very helpful. Again and again, this is how it is. It's part of right view, not how it should be, but how it is. Working with our stuff.
Taking the breath, first foundation of mindfulness, receiving in the body. How is it in the body? Going beneath the cognitive puncture of the mind. Where's the feeling tone? Just that is an act of compassion. Receiving our experience rather than judging it. When we lose compassion, we go out and we judge how we are, how the world is. So it's a very, again, it's this different move, subtle but profound shift in relationship to receive. How is it now? It's like this. Heavy, irritable, lost. If the sankara is more difficult or maybe positive, hopeful, inspired, energized. May I be well. I can just receive our experience with this wish, this intention. To really hold that for the sense of self. May I be free from harm. practice of loving kindness is a skill. It's, uh, it's learning to receive our experience, our self, starting with ourself, this body and mind, this sense of self, with this attitude of non-resistance, non-contention, non-judgment, receiving with kindness, and not learning the skill of not creating more aversion, if aversion is there. not deepening the tendency towards hatred. Even if it's right to feel hatred (laughs) or aversion, it can be very right, but still that's not the point for one's own heart. Anger can have its place, but then how, how can we work with it skillfully so we can first of all receive the experience Receiving the body, the heart, the mind with this wellness, this kindness, mercy. Sometimes if something's really, really difficult to be with, this is where the Kuan Yin practice can be very helpful. I don't know what to do in this moment. Something comes up, either within ourselves or in relationship or within the world terrible things we have to witness to. I mentioned some of them last night. I hope I didn't bring you all down. (laughs) But sometimes we do. We have to witness to some very, very difficult things. We don't know what to do as as a self. We feel very small. And in that moment, to just bring Namo Kuan Shiyin Pusa or May there be compassion here, the one, the, that which is in the universe which is compassionate. May it bear witness. May there be mercy. Whatever phrases we can use that have meaning for ourselves, Kuan Yin's calling on that which is merciful, which is compassionate. 
just to steady the mind, just to connect with this deeper intention in the heart. And it said, you know, there is a mysterious practice. The response and the way are intertwined inconceivably. You practice the way, there's a response. Something might open beyond our strategies to bring resolve, to bring healing, to move things through when we don't know what to do anymore. Returning to the faith heart. So in our practice today, just exploring these different dimensions of what we've been doing so far, the steadying, the calming, as a foundation, again and again, beginning again, how is it now, being with the breath, being with the body. Moments of really turning inward to listen. to taste the suchness of the moment, suchness of present, to taste the peace of that, the larger context, as Kirisara was pointing to yesterday. Noticing space, noticing silence, noticing awareness. Noticing the mind free from thinking. Who are you then? Who are we then? Being, tolerating the mystery of not knowing. And then if there is, if pattern emerges, something happens, contact, something, or something from our past, or something just from the momentum of the karma of our life, visits, a guest, one of these guests, rather than, oh my God, this is a drag, how can I get rid of it or something someone else does that's, that affects us? Rather than immediately going out, that sh- they shouldn't be here. <laughs> How can I get rid of them? <laughs> it's like Ajahn Chah, return it to the mind. What is the real issue is our, you know, our reaction first. What we might, yes, of course in the world we might need to respond skillfully to do something. But in this practice, keep looking, what's our reaction? How can we begin to resolve suffering right there? And then applying the skill of inquiry. What's happening here? How are we creating more suffering? How can we hold this with some more compassion, with more patience? How can we listen more into our experience? Sometimes in meditation, a very, very deep sankara, very deep material can come up. Feelings of not, not really wanting to be here, resistance to life, can be so profound for many of us. called vipavatanha, it's desire not to exist. Lots of Buddhist meditators get attracted to meditation, (laughs) who have a lot of vipavatanha, think it's quite spiritual, but in fact it certainly helps us, but at a certain point there's there's still suffering there, there's still a hindrance there, there's still resistance to life. 
to really fully being here in our incarnation. So you might feel that, you feel the symptoms of it. So we can be with that, really investigate, really feel that. Take the breath there, just holding with the sankara. It's not always about trying to fix things, but just trusting in the power of awareness. Or maybe we have a lot of irritation, a lot of restlessness. And that's, that's good, we're in contact with it. Or maybe we have a lot of enthusiasm, creativity to go and, like, my mind can sit here and create ten different projects. It's exhausting. My mind's exhausting. (laughs) It's so creative sometimes. And then I go and do it, and then I feel exhausted. (laughs) So it's nice sometimes for me to remind myself I don't have to. I can just see that that's a, a tendency can be quite wholesome. It's not all difficult. But it's also nice to know that there can be choice, more mindfulness, more presence, more we can choose. Do I go along with this or do I just unhook, rest in the stillness of being? So not to worry, not to feel something's gone wrong if, if we experience challenge. We're meeting ourselves in all our dimensions. The stillness of the profound immensity of being that we touch in moments of presence. The complexity of the relational field and sensory contact of the world that converges on this sense of self, which is also part of our experience and its patterns and its reactions, honoring that too. Compassion says I am everything, wisdom says I am nothing, and between these two banks is my sense of self, (laughs) negotiating, learning, growing, and letting go. Balancing, touching, being with and letting go, letting be.